Hello, my name is Dustin Hosseini, and this is the Digital Education Practices Podcast. Today, I'm joined uh, once again by Sandra Nolte and Stephen Young from the Accounting and Finance Department at Lancaster University Management School. So, hello again, guys. Hello. Hi, Dustin. So today, I think you're going to talk about dissertations and online teaching materials for dissertations. Yes, that's true. So hi, everyone. I'm Sandra Nolte. I'm a senior lecturer in finance in the accounting and finance department at Lancaster University Management School. And I'm also the program director of three master programs that we have here, one in finance, one in accounting and financial management, and one in quantitative finance. Hi, everybody. My name's Steve Young. I'm a colleague of Sandra's in the Department of Accounting and Finance at Lancaster. Um, I'm program director for one of our master's programs in finance, Advanced Financial Analysis, where we teach students both um, academic material and we also link with a professional qualification. Okay. And thank you very much. It's very good to have you back again so soon. Um, Maybe, I don't know, if Sandra wants to start, you can tell us a little bit about the dissertations and how they work. For those of you who are not in the UK, in the UK at this time, students are beginning to work on their uh, dissertations. So, Sandra? Yes, so I guess I will start and Steve can hop in if I forget something. So basically, our MSc students, so all of them, are currently writing their dissertation. And that means for our department that this year we have something like more than 250 students who are writing their dissertations at the moment. And that leads, well, to a format which is maybe quite unusual for a lot of you because we have created what is called a dissertation stream, meaning we do not have an individual dissertation writing, meaning one student, one supervisor, but basically we have a complete stream of 50, 60 students writing on a particular topic, which nevertheless ends up by having a different dissertation or a distinguished dissertation amongst all of them, meaning we are providing them with an umbrella topic, if I might say. So we have a dissertation stream in asset pricing, empirical asset pricing, one in corporate finance, one in accounting, one in mathematical finance and portfolio allocation, and one covering a CFA dissertation stream, so allowing people, allowing students actually to pass the CFA level one exam whilst writing a kind of smaller dissertation during the dissertation period. And then within those dissertation stream, we are teaching them during five weeks, meaning providing them with the most relevant literature on that particular topic, showing them how to analyze that particular topic, how what each kind of data set they can use. And then we are asking the students to come up with their own research question, which is then validated with by the dissertation module director. And then they write until September their own dissertation with kind of office hour support where they can come back and ask questions all along until at least end of June, at which point we are asking them to hand in a first dissertation draft and then they get detailed comment on that draft and then they can hand in their final dissertation in September, usually first two weeks in September, I guess, okay. something like that. So basically from now until about, I guess, the end of July, is that what I heard? They would normally have perhaps uh, some face-to-face workshops. So in, in the usual setting, they would sit in the lecture theaters at the moment and we would teach them how to write a dissertation, how to analyze, how to do the methodological part, 
how to structure it, how to how to to formulate a research question, and all those kind of things, which unfortunately this year needs all to happen in an online setting. And just to be clear about that, Dustin, it's quite an intensive teaching, so it's normally about forty hours. So it's it's it looks like a full course with computer workshops, with data analysis. So it, it tends to be very focused and very intense teaching. And one of the benefits of it is it means that there's equality amongst students in terms of the support they get. So all our students on a stream receive the same support, whereas with normal dissertation streams, you, students are slightly at the whim of the individual supervisor as to how much support they get. So you get um, potential inequalities in support across students. So so we think it's normally it's quite a democratic system and it provides students with the foundations in a structured way that allow them then to go on and analyze the data um, and and hopefully ask some interesting research questions. So how are you going to approach it now? So obviously this 40 hours of teaching, which that is very intensive if you think about it, um, how are you approaching this? What are you going to do? We had to do this in quite a rush, Dustin, because our dissertations were due to start when the lockdown was imposed. So we didn't really have that much time to reflect on the method. So in order to... Um, to maximize the chances of student engaging with the material and producing a piece of work that was of, of a sufficient quality for a master's program, we, we decided to go down the route of getting each dissertation module direct to look at dissertation stream and their dissertation topic again and try and simplify what they were trying to do and pare back any unnecessary or superficial material and focus more time and energy on the key data sets, theories, and techniques that students really required a good understanding of in order to be able to implement their research. And and where possible, we actually tried to get module directors to move more towards taking students through a small number of academic papers where essentially they, they get students to replicate the paper. And we went down this route because we thought that it provided a structure that the students could work within, a framework where the material could be delivered in small modules, you know, like a here's the research question module. We can do some analysis around that. Here's the methods module. And we can talk you through that and make sure you understand that. And then Here's the implementation so that it, it we try to focus students' attention much more on, on the core requirements that they would need, the core skills. Whereas normally we teach quite a broad set of materials and then we let students kind of work it out for themselves. But we were concerned that more um, that more independent study approach might not work in a, in a digital space because it's, um, it's hard at the best of times for students to engage with that material, let alone when they are geographically remote. So, so the first thing to do for us was to try and keep things simple, much more focused research question around a one or a small number of papers where it was essentially a replication and then a small extension. And then it was really a question of how we get module directors to amend their teaching style to better suit a digital environment. So rather than just a simple series of 40 hours of lectures and workshops, which is what we'd normally do, we were encouraging them to pare back on the lecture material and spend more time on workshops designed to 
talk students through the material, assuming that the student had read it first of all. So it, it was more like a sort of flipped classroom approach where students are given some material to work on up front and then and then maybe a short lecture of how to do it, followed by a, a, a workshop that tries to flush out problems that students are experiencing and and get them to have a go with the techniques or the theory so that we hopefully ensure that students have a, a better understanding of the core requirements before they leave the session or sessions. Just trying to get an idea of what the structure of the dissertation might look like. So if someone was doing a um, science-based subject, it would be kind of an in-write approach, introduction, methods, what is it, research, analysis, discussion? Yeah, that sort of results, thing. Results. Yeah, and, and, and the dissertation would look more like a piece of research that was driven by the faculty member's own interests with maybe the student looking to um, make some tweaks do some extensions, but it would really look like a research project. Whereas our approach looks more like a, it looks more like a module where students produce uh, a project at the end of the module. And this is something that's very practical, I guess. Yeah. And that's really the, uh, the aim of our dissertation streams is to get them to focus on topics that are practically relevant in, uh, in financial services. And then also to ask questions that mean that they engage with practically relevant material and methods and techniques that then hopefully means that they are they are more more attractive in the job market when it cut when it comes to engaging with employers because they've started to engage with the sorts of questions and the sorts of techniques that financial services employees are interested in rather than a traditional academic dissertation that looks more like a phd introduction to a phd and so how have you kind of gone about this process because obviously it's a big undertaking to to transform a lot of that in such a short amount of time to still then meet uh, the learning outcomes. So what have you done? Yeah, well, we, we started by trying to solve a lot of challenges that we had up front. So as Stephen mentioned, our our dissertations are empirical, so meaning students are normally working with a data set. So they are downloading data, they are using a software, which everything is fine if they are on campus. Now, our trouble at the beginning was actually to understand is that feasible if they are not sitting anymore in Lancaster, but if they are sitting everywhere in the world, meaning do they have access to the software that we have here on campus? Do they have, have access to the databases that we have? Which might sound stupid now, but somehow at the beginning it was a real concern because given the nature of the dissertation, if the answer to those two questions would have been no, so meaning they can't access the, the software and they cannot access the database, then I guess we would have been doomed and we would have needed to rethink the complete structure of our dissertation. So luckily, we managed to, uh, in the first week of teaching that we had with them, so in the first delivery week, we asked or our dissertation module director asked all our students to try to download bits and pieces of data and to access software. And all of them could do that remotely, meaning we most of our software accessible on the cloud. So that is something which is quite nice for them. And the databases are accessible remotely as well. So that is something which, which worked in our favor at the beginning and which still they don't have any, any trouble to come up with those kind of things at the moment, at least from what we know from, from the module directors 
so far. For some context, what, what kind of software and databases would they need access to that, that you were worried that they might not have access to if they weren't on campus? For, to give you an idea, so depending on the stream we have, so some module directors are using SAS, some module directors are using MATLAB, some of them are using Stata for the softwares. Database-wise, they use usually DataStream, Crisp, WRDS, which is not a trouble, or Bloomberg, which you really need to sit in front of a, of a terminal to be able to download data. So that was a no-go from the beginning on. And that, that is the kind, the kind of databases they are, they are looking for, basically. Okay. Sorry, Stephen, I think I interrupted you. You wanted to jump in. Uh, no, I think I was just going to say very similar to Sandra there that, uh, you know, the challenge we faced is that for some of these statistical software packages like Stata, we have a limited number of licenses. And so that becomes challenging when students aren't on campus um, because we can't necessarily regulate when students are using them and which students are using the license. And we were also concerned that students' IP addresses wouldn't allow them to access the the databases because they weren't accessing them through a Lancaster IP address. So resolving those issues would, was absolutely critical. And, and we made some small changes in terms of what dissertation supervisors expected students to do. We tried to economize on some of the data requirements and, and where there were databases, where there were, there were some challenges. We encouraged module directors to think about um, more accessible and easier solutions for students to access the data and that appears to have gone quite well so so far so good on that level with these projects one of the key messages i'm hearing was to streamline the scope of the project perhaps because if they couldn't access say bloomberg obviously that gets rid of that entire database or set of data that they could look into so in this respect you then decided to focus the dissertations a bit more on what was accessible which in turn allowed them to take part in the dissertation in, in an easier way without as few barriers as possible. Is that what? Yeah, I think that's a good summary. And, and also reduce the scope of the dissertation in terms of just the level of analysis we expected of them. And that's simply because we think it's harder to teach research skills than in the classroom face-to-face. -face. And therefore, we didn't want to expect the same extent of analysis from them because we think it's harder to deliver. No, of course. And again, this, this kind of goes back to our previous talk where uh, access and, and equity were, were very important. So it's, it's good to see that, you know, this is being thought about in very great depth because obviously students are dispersed, so they might have access to fewer things, databases, software, and obviously the Bloomberg terminals are, they're not just everywhere, are they? So That's right, exactly. And um, and the other thing that we found quite useful was Sandra and I tried to coordinate across the six dissertation streams that, that we offer. So rather than simply delegating decisions on what to do to individual dissertation directors, we tried to coordinate across all dissertation streams to achieve some level of sort of consistent minimum. So that if students were making comparisons across dissertation streams, talking with their colleagues, that they would hopefully see a very similar approaches and uh, and there wouldn't be debate then about what was fair on one stream and what wasn't fair on another stream and, and students feeling as though that they weren't getting the same level of support or, or they were being asked to do things that were harder on one stream than another stream. So, so that kind of coordination process 
of getting dissertation directors to talk to each other uh, with, with Sandra and I giving some oversight and direction, I think was really, really important. Yes, definitely. So collaboration, but also clear and open communication. And just, I didn't ask at the beginning, I should have, but how many students are we talking about? So it, what, what are we, Sandra, in total about 200 and over 250? Over 250 years. So it's a very large program. So ensuring that access and equitability across the program was even more important because, as you said, you wouldn't want to have some students disadvantaged or, or well, perhaps advantaged in that regard against each other. Yeah, that, that's yeah. absolutely right. And, and we were also dealing with dissertation supervisors who were some of our more junior colleagues. And, and so they didn't really have a lot of experience of, of redesigning a dissertation delivery kind of on the hoof for a digital delivery. They, they had quite a clear mindset about how they would do it, and that was very traditional. And so I think leaving individual faculty members to kind of sort it out themselves, particularly when they're, they're young and inexperienced, it's not fair on the, the faculty member. And, it, and it's also a recipe for um, problems further down the line. No, of course. There's also the staff welfare, but also, in a sense, professional development as well, because if they're not quite there yet, it's unfair to ask them to, to do something quite big in that regard, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, and and also, Sandra and I have learned from sort of bitter experience that it's often better to front load the effort and put more effort in at the start so that you make sure that students understand. And ev- even if that is actually um, more costly because it involves more prep and more thinking about how to deliver the material rather than kind of adopting a low cost uh, approach at the start and then having to pick up the pieces towards the end where you've got a large number of students who don't know what they're doing. And each of those students are contacting the module director on an individual basis. And you end up with a situation where a module director is trying to deal with with 50 different students having 50 different sets of problems. And that becomes incredibly costly for the academic. Now, going back to the original, uh, we were talking about online teaching materials. What, what ha- In terms of practical terms, sorry, what have you kind of created in this regard? Obviously, you had very little time. Uh, but how have you kind of approached this in terms of creating things for the students, if, if anything? So we, uh, dissertation directors differ slightly in terms of the way they've approached this. But, but the basic approach is that we've got a mixture of synchronous and asynchronous content. So, so we have live sessions because we think that results in higher levels of engagement. But those live sessions are, are supported by by pre-recorded material, typically given to the students before a live session that allows them to reflect on content and, and learn at their own pace. And, and, and those asynchronous um, pieces of content tend to be quite small. So, so we try to go down a modularization route of the content, breaking what would have been a very big lecture covering a lot of issues into, into much smaller learning packages. So, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of recorded content followed by some sort of live interactive activity where students demonstrate their learning. Right. So one of the other things that we um, realized very quickly when working with our module directors on structuring the delivery is is how important it is to for module directors to get an understanding of, of software um, and, and the platforms that they were delivering on and the capability of those platforms. So we're, um, we're delivering most of our 
content via Microsoft Teams. And it it's really important before you start to teach and before you start to structure your content to actually understand what the capability of the platform is, because to a large extent, that will affect what you deliver and how you deliver. And if you don't understand the capability of the platform, you'll probably find that your what you do is heavily restricted and you won't be able to exploit opportunities that exist, but that you're not aware of. So examples would be things like on Teams, we there's a whiteboard feature that allows the teacher to annotate in a live session. But we found that it was hard to save that content. And and so that suggested um, using an alternative inking process, maybe on in PowerPoint, because that could be saved directly. But this wasn't something that module directors were aware of until they started in the first session. Um, similarly, with things like breaking larger groups down into smaller working groups of three or four students, you know, the capability of teams to do that is there, but you've got to understand uh, that capability really before you start. So I think in hindsight, we would probably say, get to know your platform and get to know your capabilities before you start to develop and deliver content. Okay, I think that's a fair point. And obviously, with the kind of emergency remote teaching, that makes it more difficult. But for term one, uh, later in the year, there's a lot more time to kind of get to know these systems. No, that's right. I think, though, what, what one thing we did benefit from is because we were coordinating with module directors and because we were having a regular meeting with them and discussing what they were planning to do and what their experiences were each week, we, we were able to get a good sharing of experiences across all module directors. So rather than one module director finding out a problem and solving it, but then that information being being limited to that one module director, it was it was easily shared across the group. So I think that was actually very beneficial as a sort of real-time training exercise. Yes, and I think I would agree uh, because this is part of my own message I'm trying to get across to staff in various positions is we shouldn't work in silos because when we work in silos, you know, we're effectively recreating systems and processes from afresh and we could just come together and do it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is so important when you're operating in an area where you might have a range of people with limited expertise, where there's a lot of learning opportunities. Well, let me take this opportunity to ask both of you, how do people in my position, so educational technologists, learning technologists, whatever we want to call us, how do we convince or persuade staff who may be shy or reticent or unsure of approaching us to ask for help? Well, the way I guess we did that in a kind of more informal way. So to I know that our our colleagues might not necessarily, you know, reach their hand out and say, I need help. This is why Steve and myself had the idea at some point of time that, well, in those meetings that we have every single week, where we meet with the module dissertation, dissertation module director, sorry, that way around, we invited you, Dustin. So meaning we tried actually to create the relationship to say, look, it's not only a name on an email, so meaning they knew you because you, your team and yourself sent us a lot of emails about how you can help us deliver online, te- online teaching or help us with the softwares. But sometimes, given that our colleagues are too shy to reach out, we decided to do it the opposite way around, to invite you into the group. And, you know, with 
a first conversation starting, it's then easier for them if they know you to actually come back to you and ask more questions. I don't know if that was the, I don't know if, if that is the usual way that, that other, other departments or other program directors are doing that, but I, we thought it, it's a quite easy way of doing that. I don't know if you, you agree with me, Steve. Yeah, I, I, I definitely do, Sandra. Um, I think part of the responsibility is, is on, is on the academic side to make sure that that you're involved in dis- in discussions early on, Dustin, so that people get to know you and your team, and so that they're more likely to approach you if they have a question. I think that's really critical. The the, the other thing I think we've learned uh, is is that it might be quite useful for digital learning colleagues to identify particular teaching problems that are likely to come up for most academics and then maybe provide some examples of how they might resolve those problems. So I'll give you two examples of how that's worked for us. I came to you, Dustin, with the question about how we might get student feedback and deal with quizzes. And you provided some really helpful information about Microsoft Forms and how we can embed that within PowerPoint and how we can use that for, for quizzes and real-time surveys. And that was shared across all our module directors. And that was really important because that was a specific challenge that they were facing from day one is how do I how do I ensure engagement and how do I take a temperature check in a session to make sure students are understanding? So that was a very practical problem that you provided a solution for. Another example would be when we design work computer workshops, one of the things we're looking for is, is to talk students through, say, a spreadsheet or talk them through a piece of software. And so things like screen capture become quite important there. And so a lot of colleagues might not know the various screen capture options from things like Camtasia through to the screen capture option that's embedded within PowerPoint. So having a little um, guide on here's the problem, here are some options to solve that, I think is, is, is a really good way of getting engagement with module directors because you're already starting to solve a problem that most of them are are going to experience at some point in their teaching. In a sense, again, it's kind of the being willing to be curious and ask questions. And of course, from my side, I guess, as well, identifying the teaching problems, as you said, as well, and then coming up with suggestions that might be potential solutions. Yeah, and and that involves both sides, both academic and learning technologists kind of working together from the start. So I think if uh, I think part of the problem is many academics take the view of, well, I expect learning technologists to just tell me how to do, how to teach digitally. And of course, that's not what you do. You're, you don't have an off-the-shelf solution to a digital delivery because there is no one single solution. You are there to deal with specific problems. And so having that relationship where both parties are starting to talk to each other means that you can flush out the issues that uh, academics are facing, and then you can start to target some solutions to address those issues. Yes, you're exactly right. I mean, there's a colleague, Verna Rossi, she works at uh, another university somewhere in London, Ravensbourne, I think is what it's called. But one she one thing she has done is she's created a series of sessions where they she starts with uh, starters, the main course, so to speak, and then the, the lesson finishers. So it's the same thing. If someone comes to me with a problem, I can understand what it is uh, because you may not want a full course. You may just want a small bit. Yep. Obviously, it's close to dinner time, so I'm thinking of food. <laughs> <laughs> you may want an aperitif or a dessert, but you don't want the, the, you know, the whole thing. Yep. 
Um, and so, yes, you're exactly right. The, the, the solutions are very tailored to the problem. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. For some things, there is, obviously. Mm-hmm. But some subjects have online discussions. Others don't because they're just inappropriate um, or they wouldn't take place in the same format. I, I guess the trouble is also that maybe sometimes you do not know what to ask for. I, I mean, you know, if, if you think about at the beginning about how to deliver online, I guess th- there are so many things you need to think about that maybe also people some of our colleagues or ourselves, we do not know where to start. And that might also stop them sometimes to ask for help because they don't know how to ask for help or what they really need at that particular point in time. And that yeah, is basically and- what we try to identify with Steve for our colleague delivering dissertations to say, what could be the trouble? So meaning it's it's not that, that that we are trying to control what they are doing. It was more trying to provide an environment for them where basically we started to think about all the trouble that can happen around that they can actually just focus on teaching and then come back with the challenges they are facing and see how we can solve them. But trying to create a kind of environment where they can start working, where they can start thinking about what they want to do. And the fact that we were already engaged with you, Dustin, meant, meant that we could act as a sort of interface between our module directors and and the learning technology side. So they didn't necessarily all know who you are and they didn't necessarily know the sorts of questions they needed to ask, but we had a better idea of both. So we could kind of force them to ask the pedagogic questions about how they're doing it. And then we could put them in touch with you for um, for potential solutions to those problems. No, of course, uh, and that that's all, that's also a big help as well. When there's the kind of um, not middleman by any means, but in, a, in essence, a facilitator who knows a little bit of both sides, because of course I can come in and suggest, or colleagues in my position, we can come in and suggest lots of solutions. But obviously, if there isn't a problem or an apparent problem, then the solutions aren't very; they won't be relevant, or they may not be as focused as they could be. Yep, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I was just going to say, Dustin, one, one interesting result that, that we're starting to see is that in some cases, we're actually getting better engagement through remote delivery than we get in a face-to-face setting. And, and for some people, that's a surprise. But I think what we're finding is that some students feel more comfortable in the sort of cloak of anonymity that is given in a digital space where they they can ask a question or, or answer a, a quiz anonymously, and that means that they're more likely to engage, and that gives more feedback to the sort of real-time feedback yes. to the lecturer. So, so the paradox is that you know our big concern was about the fact that we might not get any engagement, and that's clearly a challenge. You have to work hard to get it. It seems like we can actually, if it's done right, we can actually get better engagement in a digital environment than is often the case in face-to-face. Yes, and I guess from there we can say that there's an opportunity of using the digital space, digital education as a means of not just improving engagement, but it offers a lot more opportunities than we realize, perhaps. Do you think that's a fair comment? Yeah, I think that. I think that's a an absolutely fair comment. I think what module directors are starting to realize 
because they're they're having they've been forced to engage with this technology that they wouldn't have otherwise chosen to do because the setup costs are high. But what they're realizing is when you actually engage with this technology, it it, it provides opportunities for you to do things better and arguably more if efficiently than you've been able to do in the past using traditional lecture seminar face-to-face delivery and so i think it i think it's a real game changer for how we teach at universities yes and and there's going to be a lot of long-term benefits from it for people who actually embrace this and and move towards more of a blended style in the future so even even when we move back to -to face-to-face delivery and in normal circumstances i think that that the way we deliver will start to look much more blended even even though we we don't have to use blended methods. And maybe to kind of round round off the discussion, I guess, yes, there are opportunities and it might even help with some of the issues around bigger class sizes because, you know, if it's if you're in a lecture theatre with 300 other students, as a student, from, from that perspective, it can be quite daunting. Whereas if you're able to participate in kind of a, a non-verbal way, whether as a lurker or an observer or maybe just adding comments, you know, online, it might actually help reach out to those other students who can't ask the question. Yeah, I, th- I that's think right. that's right, isn't it? And, and that's, been a, that's been a big issue for us because culturally many of our students feel uncomfortable yes. in, 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 t- in speaking out in large groups because that's not the background they come from. And, and so regardless of, of how you design a face-to-face class, whether it's a small number or a large number, they just feel inhib- inhibited to express themselves verbally, whereas they're much more confident in indicating issues or making contributions in a digital space. Okay, great. That's That's been very interesting uh, hearing about this because um, it's good to hear that even though we're in this situation, uh, people are starting to see the opportunities. It's kind of, as you said, forced people to not open their eyes, but see the reality, the potentials, really. Yeah, what so. are the possibilities which can hopefully empower the students, you know, in a positive way, but also the the educators as well. Yes. Yep. yep. I, th- I think I think that's absolutely that's right. right. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's been good to hear from you two again. Super. It's been great talking to you, Justin. So thanks very much. Yes, thank you very much, Justin.